What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me, episode 28. On this episode, I talked to Mike Sarkeesian of Spineshank. Spineshank was a great band, put out some great records on Roadrunner Records back in the day. I've known Mike for years and years and years as we go into this podcast you will learn you will learn that quickly uh this was a great episode to record such a great time uh, catching up with mike mike and i go back to uh voicemail pagers and then we uh we moved over to like aol instant messenger and myspace and facebook so we've we've gone through all the social media things and uh we've always been there for each other through all these things so definitely great uh, great chat with an old friend all right guys in this week as in last week, we got to thank Fleet Street for coming on. Journey with Fleet Street back to a time where men were truly gentlemen and the greatest of care was taken in crafting their personal grooming products. Made with all natural ingredients, essential oils, and gentle fragrance handcrafted by the man himself, Stephen Drummond. Uh, they encourage you to explore their sophisticated selection of products they have to offer. They offer hair pomade, mustache wax, beard balm, and beard oil. Make sure to check them out on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash visitfleetstreet, V-I-S-I-T-F-L-E-E-T-S-T-R-E-E-T. So yeah, go visit Fleet Street on, uh, on the old Facebook. And uh, to win a free bottle of beard oil, make sure to like them and then let them know that you heard about them on the Talk To Me podcast. Uh, we've got a few more weeks on that uh, on that giveaway, so make sure to go to Fleet Street, like them, say you heard about them on Talk To Me, and then while you're there, make sure to check out all the products that they've put out and uh, make sure to order a few things from them. I definitely put my order in. I got some pomade on the way. I'm gonna look super slick and super super uh, super sweet. So make sure to check them out. And then also make sure if you want to support the Talk To Me podcast, make sure to go to Amazon.com, search out the Talk To Me t-shirts, get you a Talk To Me t-shirt. If you have Amazon Prime, there's free shipping. Totally helps out the podcast. Sunk a lot of money into the podcast recently. So if you want to support the podcast in any way, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, make sure to go and get your Talk To Me t-shirt off of Amazon.com. And then uh, a lot of you guys out there are starting to uh, to send me pictures of you guys in your Talk To Me shirt. Make sure to send me those too. It's great to see. I love being able to repost those. So make sure to check them out. And uh, I will tweet those links out and also throw them on the Facebook. And if you want to follow me on Facebook and Twitter, it's uh, facebook.com slash talk to me talk. On Twitter, it's at talk to me talk. And then if you want to email the show directly, it's talk to me talk at gmail.com. If you have an unsigned band or an up and coming band you want played on the podcast, please reach out to me and I will throw that on an upcoming episode. No spoilers on this one, but uh, holy Jesus. That Walking Dead episode was crazy. Like I sat there and was watching it, looked over to the wife, and I was like, man, this has to be a dream sequence. And uh, it definitely did not turn out to be a dream sequence with all the shenanigans going on. So if if you're a huge Walking Dead fan, uh, I know you're happy to see that that's all back. And God bless America (laughs) when The Walking Dead is on. So it definitely took place with the uh, Sundays. I know football is over for, for, for a few months. So no football, but we've got The Walking Dead for at least the next eight weeks, and then we can go into Game of Thrones. So I'm definitely not going to spoil it for anybody, but man, if you haven't seen this week's episode of The Walking Dead, you definitely need to go check it out. But my guest this week is the one and only Mike Sarkeesian of Spineshank. And uh, like I said a little bit ago, probably the uh, person I've known in the music industry the longest. Definitely, uh, Definitely a crazy story how we met. And, uh, you know, we've, we've stayed friends throughout the years and such, such a good guy. 
and uh, we talked for so long. We're definitely going to have to do a part two. And, you know, he's not even really doing a whole lot musically right now. You know, there's no spine chain coming out. Such a great guest to have on the podcast. And as you will hear, we talk for a long time about about the old days. But we talk a long time about the uh, about the late 90s, early 2000s, and the, the height of the new metal era, you know, when, uh, when he was out with Spine Shank and things like that. So hopefully you enjoyed this uh, interview. And also this is the first interview, like I said, threw some money into the podcast, upgraded the system, and this is going to be my first Skype call interview. And I think the audio quality comes out fantastic. So definitely going to have to start uh, kind of getting some of the older guests back on and uh, maybe do part twos, things like that. I just didn't know uh, how long it's going to be until I started really doing part twos. Uh, I know there's a couple of guests that uh, you guys want to hear some more from. There's a couple of guests that I want to talk to some more. We're going to play you some Spine Shank right now. Go into the interview with Mike Sarkeesian. Hopefully you and you guys enjoy all of that, and I will talk to you guys momentarily. Oh, 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 oh,
All right, Mikey Shank, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you, thank you. How are you doing? Not too bad. You know, getting some of these podcasts together, I like to uh, I like to kind of go back and uh, try to remember, you know, where either A, you know, I first heard the band, or B, you know, kind of where I first met the person. And, and you and I have a very, uh, very long, long history. history. I was yeah. actually just thinking about that. The, it was Metal Hammer. <laughs> yeah, Metal oh, Hammer not, not Magazine. Metal, Hammer, Metal Maniacs. Metal Maniacs. Well, yeah, Metal Maniacs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <clears throat> I guess you guys had put an ad in there to, uh, this is pre, you know, Roadrunner, and this is pre you guys signed. Yeah, yeah, this is a you know, million, this is 96, no, 97. God, I had to. 97. Yeah, 96, 97, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, you guys had put an ad in the, ad in the uh, Metal Maniacs for, I think you would put your pager number in there. I think it was your pager number. And uh, I think it was my pager number, and then like, and then there was an address in there, I think. And it, yeah, and you could. Uh, I'm thinking it was Tommy's address, and the, the, the first two people that w- like that replied because I think I think we put something along the lines of a, uh, like a free demo, just right yeah. to or some shit. And uh, uh, the first two people that actually uh, replied was you, and I don't know if you know Ro Ro Coley. He, I don't know. He he's like he's pretty close with like a lot of the. Bands and he used to have a, a zine in Jersey at the time called uh, Shock to the System. Oh, that's and, awesome! And uh, he like from there on he went to work for the firm and uh, I think at some point for Andy Gold and for Warner Brothers and for Century Media and like now he runs uh, some kind of marketing company called War Machine Marketing. So it's kind of funny when when you think about that that long yeah. ago, years ago. We uh, yeah, that was crazy at- times paper and uh we've developed some lifelong relationships with people like you and row you know what I mean right yeah it was funny you know kind of going going through those uh you know just kind of going back to the memories and I even I, I remember I would uh you would call your pager number and you would have like a few seconds of a spine shank song and then you would be like Hey, this is Mikey. Leave me a message, and I swear to God, I totally ripped that off. So I had a voicemail pager, and I had a you know twelve volt negative verse song as my thing, and I was like, Hey, you reached to me. Leave me a message, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that was the thing to do back then. We had no cell phones. We had we had none of that. You know, it was like pager, and you didn't even know who was calling. You have to go to a payphone and call it back. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember. I was at I was at work one day, and I got that, that was a cutting edge. Oh yeah, we were totally cutting edge back then. I remember uh, when when Twelve Volt was kind of getting uh, some label interest, and my pager would go off, and it'd be like you know these random voicemails from uh, like TVT Records and stuff like that, and you're just like, oh my god, you know this is so crazy. But yeah. you know that's one thing we we talk about on the podcast too is just you know how how you know I hate hate to sound like the old guys, but you know how we used to interact. You know you didn't have Facebook, and you didn't have, you know it wasn't even MySpace yet. It was just you know very very limited ways to find people, and you know Metal Maniacs and Metal Edge and and all those metal magazines had those uh, like their firing squad and you know how to how to reach new bands and you know that's uh, definitely a different time. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, like there was something pretty cool about that too. Actually, uh, the internet was sort of not. It was sort of around, but not really around. I think only the privileged. The internet and it was so slow. It was dial up. It was just not worth it. Basically. It was more of a headache than it was worth. So yeah, it was. It was mostly you know the the whole tape trading type thing that uh you know got got this started I guess. Um, and uh yeah, it's it's a special time. You know what I mean? Like I don't think bands or just people in general have uh you know uh, have the opportunity to experience that at this point. 
Yeah, it's like just looking back on those times, just trying to figure out how you even found your favorite bands. It's it's mind blowing, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, you would actually have to go to the store and you know, uh, but maybe go to one of those. We had a a used store right down the street from where I used to live called This Junkie, and we would go and uh, the owner would let us listen to UCDs. And uh, you know, a, a lot of those bands were actually Roadrunner bands. You know, like uh, that's how I discovered Fear Factory. That's how I discovered. Uh, um, I'm like I was like really into the death metal scene at the time, like the suffocation and Cannibal Corpse, you know, and all that stuff. So that's how I would go and just discover all these things, and that was that was kind of cool. You would just listen to a UCD, and if you liked, then you would just buy it new. So yeah, that was that was definitely cool. I mean, it was definitely a really cool time to be, you know, in in history of uh, you know metal or just, just music in general. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy time. I mean, I remember even, uh, you know, my how I found Corn was, uh, I think they had played like, uh, what was that, uh, Foundations Forum in like '93 or '94, and uh-huh. Metal yeah, Maniacs yeah. had had put a picture of Head. It was just a small picture, but it was very intriguing of him on stage. And so when that album came out, we went to, uh, we had driven like, just you know, a crazy teenage road trip, you know, to the next you know big city over, and they had a like a blockbuster music when that was a thing and they would actually allow you to to listen to new cds like you know they had a listening station and they would put it in a, a little player for you and i put in that first corn album probably the week it came out and just you know as soon as i heard the are you ready and kicked in i was like yeah i'm getting this one yeah <laughs> i i remember corn specifically i had the demo and uh, a few yeah. Down to uh, Cal State Fullerton, they were playing like the cafeteria or something. This is like I, I don't think they had a record deal in yet, and uh, you know, so that was like they were definitely a local band in LA. But at the time, there wasn't really a scene because you know, with the, with the LA scene, with the whole Southern California scene, it was just weird. Like after the whole glam thing died out in like the early early nineties, there was like a two year of uh, two three years of recess basically. There was nothing going on. So it wasn't like people were at the clubs all the time, checking out bands. You know, that was dead, that whole thing. And then, uh, you know, Corn was definitely um, instrumental in reigniting that whole thing. But um, by the time they came out, that was already... It, they, they were a local band when, you know, me personally, I discovered them. And we had the demo and everything. And then, but but it, it happened pretty quickly for them. It wasn't like just the same way it happened for us. I think we played our first show in the beginning of 1997, and then uh, by I think October of that year, I think January 11th actually of 97 was our first ever show. And by October that year, we had signed a record deal. So, you know, I think Corn. I mean, I'm I'm not sure. You know, I don't want to be quoted on this. I guess. Don't really know the timeline, but they, they were pretty. You know, uh, it's not like they spent four years or three years playing the clubs and then they got signed. As Corn, before that, they were. Uh, I think they were called uh, LAPD. Yeah. So it's, no, that's, that's, it's pretty interesting. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty interesting how that and and by by them actually getting a record deal, it sort of uh, reignited this scene that later became known as you know whatever the LA scene or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy time because you got to look back at, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, when Corn came out, they were, there was such a culmination of kind of everything going on at the time, all wrapped into one. 
you know, because at the time, you know, I was listening to a lot of like, I was listening to a lot of death metal, like, you know, you know, thrash metal, death metal, you know, Sepultura, Slayer, uh, you know, Biohazard, Machine Head and all that stuff was, was still kind of coming up. And then, uh, you know, you still like Faith No More and, and the Melvins and all that stuff too. And, you know, that corn just kind of came out and I think uh, encapsulated all that stuff kind of into one band. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly how I felt about it. You know, it was just so heavy, but it was a slowed down. You know, it didn't have the the needle metal. You know, riffs. I guess you would say it had like weird, like that. It was it was the genius and simplicity in that band, and they sounded so different than anyone else that it was just like this. The sound from wherever, you know, like another planet, sort of. But then, you know, like at the same time, there was also uh, uh, other bands. They were doing a lot of different stuff, like then such as Fear Factory and Machine Head, and you know, Machine Head sort of like reinvented your quote-unquote classic metal sound, and just kind of put their own spin on it, a little more of a hardcore spin on it, um, you know. And, but it, it wasn't really a scene; it sort of became a scene after a while. You know, all these bands yeah. I mentioned was, you know, it, it wasn't like they were playing the LA clubs you know, every weekend. It wasn't really that. It became that probably, you know, after Korn put out their first record, like right around that time. That's when, you know, Deftones, kind of we discovered Deftones because they used to play shows with Korn and um, Jesus, like Snot and uh, System, you know, all, all those bands. And, and we're just all like these kids, you know. I mean, I was like not even old enough to drink. I was... Never mind. I wasn't even like an adult at the time, and uh, it was just kind of weird. And it was pretty cool, you know, just playing all these shows. And there was like a weird camaraderie going on with everybody. You know, everybody kind of helped each other out and would call each other up, like, "Hey, let's let's do a show at the Whiskey together, or you know, let's do a show at the Roxy together." That kind of stuff. So it was pretty cool. Like, it, it was definitely a really cool time in uh, metal. Yeah, it was definitely a great time in, uh, you know, just metal and, and, you know, coming up in the music industry and stuff like that. And let's just kind of jump into the, you know, the early days of Spine Shank. You know, we kind of went into the tape trading and uh, just out of curiosity, do you remember whose idea that was to put it into, uh, what, was, what, did, what did we agree on that it was Metal Maniacs? Metal Maniacs, yeah, it was definitely mm -hmm. Metal Maniacs and it was definitely Tommy Decker's idea. I can't take yeah. the credit. Um, the weird thing with Spine Shank is uh, just... So like right when Spine Shank started, we had just broken up another band that was basically Spine Shank. It was three out of the four members of Spine Shank in that band. Um, and um, Tommy, I guess, you know, I would have to give him credit. Maybe it was like his mad genius in this, or maybe it was just pure accident. I don't really know. But um, he was just like, like me and him were writing songs together for whatever project. And then he was doing stuff with... Uh, with um, Marlo, who was actually the original guitar player in Spine Shank. Spine Shank, when we first started, we had two guitar players. And then uh, when we needed a singer, we just kind of hit up Johnny, like, hey, why don't you just come sing on this stuff real quick, you know? And then we just kind of all discovered that, like, hey, um, it's we should just, like, get back together. So it, it sort of just happened. Like, the band, that, that basic Enigma band, that's, like, I guess it's been sort of publicized that people talk about was essentially the same band as Spineshank. And early on, like right when we, after we played our first show, we, for the first maybe like three months, 
we went through insane lineup changes. We we just kept changing the guitar player. That that Marlo dude wasn't around. Like after first few shows, and then we had another dude, and then it was just like a revolving door until Rob came in, and then from there on, it's just been what it's been. So in those early days, were you, uh, you know, I I know that the the Fear Factory guys have a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of history with Spine Shank, and, you know, like, you guys are trying to kind of uh, intertwine that way. You know, how did you guys come across the Fear Factory guys? Um, I mean, obviously, we were fans of the band because we like the manufacturer. I, and actually, I was a big fan of Fear Factory way before the manufacturer. I saw the new machine. Um, I don't, the other guys in the band weren't really aware of Fear Factory. And, uh, you know, I'm going to take full credit for this shit. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm serious because I was I was into the death metal scene, and Fear Factory was sort of in that death metal scene, except they were different, you know. But they were they were with with that whole obituary, you know. They were like in you know, the the whole Florida death metal scene, but they were just an LA band, and they mistakenly got you know lumped in with that whole scene. They didn't really sound like any of those bands, but they definitely did have a lot of death metal elements. So I was a big fan of Soul and Machine, and then uh. When the remix record came out, the Fears of Mind Killer, that was like really super cool. It was like, wow, dude, like this is really cool. So when the manufacturer came out, that's already like when we were starting this little spine shank thing. And uh we all really loved that record because it was just so different from their debut record and it was unlike anything that had been out prior to that really. And there was actually another band that was really loved at the time called uh, Misery Loves Company. I don't know if you oh, remember. Yeah, yeah. And they were kind of in that Fear Factory. You know, they were a lot more industrial. Had a, the melodies were different. But, you know, it was sort of in the same vein, I guess you would say. So, um, oddly enough, this demo tape that we said, hey, we're going to give it out for free thing, somehow got into Dino's hands. Actually, no, not somehow. I had given it to Miguel. I'll tell you the story exactly how this all happened. I had given it to Miguel from Cold Chamber um, at the Roxy, I think. And then two days later, I'm uh, hanging out at a Sick of It All show at the Alligator Lounge in Santa Monica, and Dino's there. And I'm like, hey, dude, like, check out my band, bro. And he's all like, <laughs> he looked at it, and he said, uh, hey, uh, I know you guys. I'm like, how the fuck do you know us? And he goes like, well, Miguel from Culture Mar was just playing this like a couple of days ago. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I just given it to him. So we just kind of started talking, you know, this and that. And uh, just, you know, I don't know, like, I, I think I was kind of stupid, but come to think of it, it was like a pretty brave thing to do. Because I think two weeks after that, they were playing the whiskey with Culture Chamber, And I was like, hey, do you guys need an opening band for that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the, 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 the balls that I had, I guess, you know what I mean? And he goes like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys want to play? I'm like, well, yeah. He goes like, all right, cool, man. So you guys are going to open the show. And it, it just happened just like that, literally. Uh, so I, you know, like, like we just discussed, we didn't have cell phones. So after the show, I booked it to a payphone. I called Tommy because he wasn't with me. I call him up. I go, hey, dude, guess what? He's like, what? I'm like, I just ran to Dino and we're going to open the Fear Factory show. So he's like, no fucking way. And then we just started rehearsing for like 
really rehearse it because it was our first show. Oh, we wow. Had, That's your first show? It was our first show. We had just finished this demo, and we are just going to, like, you know, send it to clubs and, you know, like, play shows. So I just asked, you know, can we open the show? <laughs> I guess he, had, he liked that, so he just he said, all right, yeah, play the show. That's great. Yeah, that's just, you know, the ignorance is bliss of being, you know, young and dumb, you know, that's, that's so great, you know, just looking back at something like that, because cause nowadays you know that, you know, if you were to open that show now, it would be like, well, i got to talk to the agent, i got to talk to the manager, right, and right, clear right. with the club, yeah. you know, you know, you would never even ask that question, you know. Yeah, and actually, I have, I have like, you know, like when they say you pass the buck, I've done that to oh, Primera, yeah. actually, the same thing, because, you know, cut like, I don't know, Three or four years later, we were already at high callousness, and uh, Chimera was opening up our Cleveland show. There was a local opener. And uh, Mark comes up on our bus, and he goes like, hey, dude, uh, can we uh, like do the rest of the tour with you guys? And I was like, well, can you? <laughs> and he goes like, well, I think we can make it happen. I was like, yeah, you're on it. Done. <laughs> and I wow, called that's him. awesome. I was like, hey, make sure like all the promoters know that Chimera's going to open the, you know, the rest of the shows. So, you know, like I said, at the time, there was like, you know, it was like we're innocent and, you know, we actually cared about each other, I guess, before we got, you know, corrupted. So it, it was cool to do things like that. It was like you genuinely wanted to do these things for other bands because you like the bands. Uh, just like Dino did to us, you know, I've done to other bands and, you know, I guess you just got to keep that going. And then somewhere along the line, bands stop selling records and, you know, all that other shit happened, so... We are where we are now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely crazy. I remember uh, this one time we were, this is like when a 12 volt had just kind of just started, but we kind of knew the guys in clutch a little bit from just where they came through town. And uh, we had gone to play in St. Louis and they were playing at a different club across town. And so I drove, I had some, uh, I found some guys like in the parking lot and I'm like, Hey, will you take me over to see clutch? And they're like, yeah. So we get over there and this is the tour where uh, I guess stuck Mojo had just dropped off the tour. For whatever reason, I don't know. And I was like, I was like, oh well, you know, we were actually out on tour, like a, just a self-promoted, uh, you know, two or three week tour. And uh, I just said, and I was like, hey, you know, we can open for the rest of, the, you know, rest of the uh, tour for you guys. And they were like, yeah, but we can't pay you. And and the idiot in me, I actually turned it down. Looking back at it, I'm like, why did we ever turn that down? But we were like, you know, just like, what do you mean we can't get paid? You know. Well, <laughs> we you, were so scared you, that we probably could have made some merch money and been all right. Um, right. Oh, totally. You know, 100% could have done that. But, you know, at the time, just not, you know, being, I think we were, I think I was 18, you know, so. Yeah, but see, like, now we're talking about the days in the music industry where there's, like, buy-on is a very common thing these days. Right, uh, right. So what getting paid? Bands pay, like, 10 grand just to be honest with these days. Yeah, I've got friends that are still in bands that are, uh you know, friends that are still in bands, you know, buying on tours, and it just, it blows my mind, you know, but I mean, I guess it's, you know, worth the promotion, and, you know, you can might be able to break even in uh, t-shirt sales and stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, but I mean, just just to think about, you know, back then you would get paid, and, you know, you wouldn't do it for free, now bands, you know, cut like, whatever, 15, 20 years later, now bands pay to just go and open for a band, you know, and, and yeah, that's insane. so it's just, it's just, it's crazy how it's all transformed. You know what I mean, right? So you guys signed a Roadrunner in the late '90s, which was you know kind of a heyday of the uh, record deal. You know, the record deal was still giving money. You know, record companies were still giving money to bands. No, no, no. Uh, how'd you guys? In... I'd, I'd have no, you... no, no. Okay, I'd have you corrected. 
Okay. <laughs> we signed just before they started giving money to bands. All right, right. Right, because we, we, when we signed to Roadrunner, Roadrunner had this standard deal where, you know, you would get, like, every band who signed to Roadrunner would get the same thing. Because the scene wasn't big yet. You know, there was no commercial appeal to metal at the time. There was no Lincoln Park. There was no Slipknot. There was none, none of that would happen. None of, none of these bands had sold a record yet. Korn was like the biggest band and that's it. And then, you know, um, from Roadrunner's end, there was like Sepultura, but Sepultura was on their like seventh record at the time. This is like, they were past roots already. So they were a huge, huge, huge international bands. But as far as bands like us and Cold Chamber and, you know, uh, just bands of that level who would get signed to Roadrunner, we, everybody got a standard deal. However, uh, Roadrunner never really stuck to that deal. Like, if they would ask for you, say, 30 grand to, you know, your deal was a $30,000 deal, we ended up spending $100,000 on our first record. But contractually, it was for 30. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Um, and then after that, so we, we kind of, I guess what I was trying to get to, get at is that we, we sort of missed the boat of where like labels were just paying crazy money for bands. Right. And then we also missed the boat when, you know, that stopped <laughs> and then they started doing 360 <laughs> deals. Yeah, looking back on the, uh, on the whole time though, I mean, you know, when the, you know, when I, I actually put out the kind of Facebook and, uh, into the, uh, internet universe to kind of, you know, thoughts on spine chain kind of thing. And like, you know, you guys are always pop up in those, uh, you know, top 10, top 20, you know, bands of the late nineties and new metal bands or whatever you want to call it. You are, you would get, you guys always pop up in those lists, highly, you know, respected in the, in the, uh, in this realm of music. I, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I can't, I can't really tell you, you know what I mean? Um, I know we we definitely did some cool stuff. We were definitely there before a lot of the bands were. Yeah. Um, as far as the respect, I definitely felt the respect. Um, I mean, one could argue that we maybe never got the respect we deserved. And then you can also say, you know what, we're just a bunch of dumb kids who kind of got lucky. So there's 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 both sides of the coin there that you know you can you know, both. It's it's definitely cool, you know. I mean, there's there's definitely. Um, a group of people, I guess, that are really into spine shank. And, uh, I, you know, like come to think of it now, it's, it's a really nice thing that I've, you know, whatever I've done personally has affected some people in a positive way or, or in any way. You know, just getting ready for this interview, I put on, uh, you know, put on some spine shank and I uh, was riding around in the car and I was like, you know, it had been a while since I listened to it, and I was like, "Oh man, I just forgot how good this was." Like it was so good at the time, and you know, it definitely you know stands up. I believe you know, I think it stood the test of time. I mean, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those bands that came out, you know, say closer to 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 the year two thousand two thousand one, that were just watered down versions of, you know, Coal Chamber and watered down versions of Corn and even you know watered down versions of you guys and Fear Factory. You guys definitely stood the test of time through all those guys. So. I mean, I, I guess, you know what I mean? I guess, yeah. There, there was definitely something different about what we were doing, and we, we kept that through, through you know, the, the four studio records that we've done. I think, but we, we sort of tried to reinvent ourselves on every record, which a lot of bands didn't really do. Um, maybe, you know, it, it, because I've always felt 
from record to record, we alienated some people and gained some new people. And I guess that sort of is the norm. You know, we're not like ACDC where, you know, it's the same people that like every record or Slayer. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I would have to agree with you that, that there was definitely nothing really watered down about us. Whatever we did, we did because we wanted to do it. Um, and I would definitely agree with you on the fact that after all that, after the initial storm happened, that was uh, fucking like the floodgates opened and out of every corner of the world, there was bands coming out who sounded like one of these bands, sort of, or um, a mix of a few of these bands with really nothing original or nothing to say or any of that. Yeah, it was definitely crazy. You know, just even being in uh ended up doing really well too, so there's also What was that? A lot of those bands that I mentioned that ended up doing really well too, so there's also that. Yeah, I just think it was, you know, around that you know, once I don't know, I just think there was a kind of a cutoff around two thousand, two thousand one where just uh just all those bands just kind of Almost, you know, they, they, all their riffs were within the first five frets of the guitar and they all had, you know, seven strings and, and there were, there's a ton of little copy bands jumping up and jumping around everywhere and stuff. But, uh, you know, it was definitely a crazy time for everybody. Yeah. And see, like with the seven strings, like a lot of people thought we use seven strings. I've never even owned a seven string in my life. <laughs> you know, well, Dino was one of the first that I ever saw with a seven string, Dino and Corn, you know, both. Yeah. 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 Those guys definitely. You know, yeah, but see, you know, prior to that, the only person you ever heard was Steve Vai. Steve Vai, yeah, exactly. And you know, I th I think, uh, well, I think Corn probably used them before Fear Factory because Fear Factory was using seven uh, seven strings on D Manufacture, but prior to that, Dino was using six strings on a solving machine. So Corn was probably the first man that you know to use seven strings in this way because seven string was like a shredder guitar. It was yeah. Just kind of running back to another thing. Uh, how did you guys get hooked up with Roadrunner? Because just so the listeners know, if you're a newer kid out there listening, you know, at a time or at one time, uh, you know, you would go to the record store, and if if the record, lay, you know, if the the side of the CD had the Roadrunner Records logo on it, you know, you were going to take that chance on it. You know, it's such a such a well res well respected uh, record label. You know, so how did you guys get hooked up with uh, with Roadrunner? Um, it, it it was a lot of things. It was uh, we. At the, the first show I mentioned, we met uh, Kevin Estrada, who was an A&R guy for Roadrunner. And, you know, through him and Miguel from Cold Chamber and Rob Flynn, who was a big fan of our band, too, and Dino and, you know, all these guys who kept kept telling Monty Connor, like, dude, that's my spine shake, that's my spine shake, that's my spine shake, you know. So it was, I guess it was one of those meant-to-be type of things. But uh, just prior to signing to Roadrunner, um, we are talking to E-Rake, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, I think they were about to offer us a deal. And we were kind of thinking, well, Roadrunner, I think they're going to offer us a demo deal. Because uh, Sis Nova Down had just done that. Like, a week prior, they went and made a three-song demo with uh, Jay Baumgartner and those guys. And... Uh, yeah, and they signed with uh, Rick Rubin. It was like right around that time. So us and System of a Down were the like the two bands that were they got record deals like really close to each other, probably a month apart, maybe. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, we're talking to E-Rake, kind of, and Roadrunner, and we're thinking Roadrunner's going to offer us a demo deal, and I remember Kevin uh, arranged this uh, lunch by their offices in Santa Monica at the time, and we go, we sit at, at an Acapulco. I don't know if you know what that is, it's like a, kind of like a medium-level Mexican restaurant, I think. Okay. So we sit there, and we're, we're drinking some margaritas, and Kevin's like, well, you know, I brought you guys over here to, uh, you know, offer you a record deal. And he he actually, because me and him are still really good friends, he remembers this to this day. He's like, dude, you were drinking mar- your margarita, and you, like, spit it out. You could have brought, like, like forget both <laughs> face, forget all. I mean, I wasn't old enough to be even drinking this damn margarita. <laughs> You know, and, That's uh, awesome. It looked like a spit take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was totally one of those things. And uh, <laughs> you know, and and that was that. We we had no idea what the fuck we were doing. We had no management. We had no attorney. Nothing. You know. Um, so we go. We asked uh, Dino. We're like, hey, you know, do you know any attorneys? So he goes, yeah, actually, call this guy. So we called that guy. We said, hey, Roder is going to offer us a deal. And, uh, you know, we needed an attorney. And that's just kind of how the whole thing happened. That's funny. See, at that time, if if they were to offer me a deal, I would have just signed it. I wouldn't even have thought of an attorney at the time. I would just have been like, here's my, well, here's you know, my, you know, know, here's my name. The funny thing was, uh, you know, I guess uh, me and, and Tommy were both like, well, you know, let's let's kind of, you know, take a step back here. And I remember Johnny Santos was actually going like, dude, I think if we, like, take too long, they're going to get pissed off and, like, retract their offer and this and that. <laughs> you know, he was, like, ready to just go. And, you know, I mean, I guess we're all ready to go because had I known what I know now, there was no fucking way I would have signed that deal. But, uh, you know, it was, like, a seven-album deal, whatever. You know, <laughs> they owned everything, that kind of shit. Yeah. But, you know, like, it was cool, and, you know, like, in, in retrospect, when I think about it, Roadrunner was actually, you know, they did a lot for us, and they did the right thing by us, and, uh, you know, there was definitely disagreements as to direction and, you know, a lot of image-type things that we had to battle every step of the way, things were, like, making videos and shit like that, but as a whole... Uh, being on another label after that and seeing how other labels operate, I think, you know, I would give Roadrunner a pretty high mark. You know, they they did good, and they actually, every time they made us, they let us make the record that we wanted to make. Yeah, let's say, I mean, just kind of bring it back to 12 volts. I actually remember, uh, <clears throat> I guess Monty had somehow gotten a, gotten a copy of one of our demos through, I mean, the rumor is that Burton actually gave it to him because I'd given it to Burton, Burton passed it on. That's that's the rumor that I've heard. Uh, you know, if, if that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, and then uh, so that he contacts us and he's like, "Hey, can you guys do a couple more demos?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure." And so we, you know, we're thinking we went more seven dust, I think, in the sound where we, you know, we were like the stuff we were writing at the time was maybe a little bit more extreme. But we were like, "All right, let's try to get signed. Let's try to you know make some stuff that we might you know get on the radio." And uh, Seven Dust Home, I think, was out at the time, so we were like, "You know, we can kind of do something like this." So we put those two songs out, send it to them, and I swear, like the next day, they signed Slipknot, and I was like, "I was like, how do you? How did we mess that one up?" You know? <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, the big rumor is, and it's not really that that much of a rumor, is that they passed on Slipknot twice before signing them. Oh, really? Yeah. 
um, they, I, I don't really know. Like, I don't know the, the whole ins and outs of it, but that's sort of the story is that they, they passed on him twice until Roswell Robinson actually started working with him. And Ross sort of signed him to his imprint for Roadrunner at the time. Which is crazy because I know, I mean, it was kind of weird. I, I got I got to talk to Monty and clarify some of this shit. I've, I have definitely heard that they've passed on corn, they've passed on death zones, that they've passed on uh, um, static X and science mind change. So go for <laughs> Well, I mean, if you know, you've heard that first corn demo. The actual corn demo is actually really terrible. Like it's, I don't, you know, how anybody got signed off of that demo blows my mind. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like the first fucking Spineshank demo is any kind of a gem, you know. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty bad. It's like the whole thing's off key. It's like the guitars are way out of tune. It's pretty terrible sounding. But at the time, we thought it sounded amazing. Right. Oh. Yeah, there's this one uh, one song on the you know I'll, I'll drop the twelve volt stuff after this, but uh, when we first met Burton, we had a song kind of late in the album, and it had kind of a, a Fear Factory esque uh, vocal pattern, you know, like the the big woes and stuff, and uh-huh. you know a lot of you know, and I was like, and it when we recorded it the first time, it sounded amazing, but when the, we recorded it for our demo that we put out, it ended up sounding terrible, and I remember uh, actually a. Uh, Actually, this will this will kind of go into the next little thing I want to talk about. But we were at a Fear Factory show. I was like, "Hey, Burton, I want to show you something." He brought me up on the bus. We put it in the in the in the player. I was like, "This is you know kind of a uh, you know you inspired this moment." And I remember him looking at me like I inspired that. <laughs> and just feel you know he was just like, "Are you sure?" Like that was me. But yeah, it was it was, it was great. But actually, that show was uh, Fear Factory, System of a Down. Head PE and and you guys were on that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you guys on that Toy tour, Tiger. yeah. Yeah, Toy Tiger, that's, that's right. Toy Tiger, I remember that. There's actually <laughs> a funny story about that because Tommy's kid was out with us on tour, and he was like two at the time. And uh, whether it was the owner or the promoter or somebody at the venue wouldn't let the kid come on stage, and we had nobody to watch him. So my tech had to go watch him. <laughs> the drum tech. Uh, for some reason, decided to retune my guitar to a completely different tuning that that I had. I didn't know what the fuck he did. So I picked up the guitar and I started playing. And I was I, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. It was like the whole thing was way out of tune. I couldn't even get it. Like it wasn't even close. To, like it was one thing I could. So yeah, that, that's the story about that show. Yeah, the toys. We went to the. I went to that show, and then I guess the next day you guys played at Memphis, and I actually drove down for that one too. But uh, yeah, that was a that toy tiger place, man. That was crazy. I saw a couple of shows there. It was like half, you know, half rock club, half strip club. It was, you know, yeah, that, pretty that awesome was place. actually another place just like that called, if I'm not mistaken, the Royal Grove in Lincoln, Nebraska. And the it was a strip club, but it had a stage and sort of a venue. So and they served food. So, you know, at, at Soundcheck, like there was like there was this uh, curtain basically. You would just pull a curtain, and it was, that's the divider between the venue and the strip club. So you would just go to the strip club and hang out there, and then come back and do Soundcheck, and then go back and that kind of stuff. And then there's another venue called Pops in St. Louis, 
Yeah, that's. I was actually just about to bring that one up. Yeah, when you're there sound checking, there's strippers running around. Yep. You know, just uh, get, getting ready for their shift and stuff. Yep, it's three strip clubs in the same lot. I don't. I haven't been there in years, so I don't know if it's still around. That's strip clubs. I think. Yeah, I think I still see pops pop up. Pops pop up on uh, on tour itinerary. So yeah, they're, I think they're still alive and kicking. Yeah, yeah. The venue is around. I'm just not sure if the strip clubs around the venue are. Oh right, right. Yeah, actually, uh, in the mid two thousands, I uh, I got hired to play bass for uh, for this band out of Myrtle Beach. They were they never did anything, but uh, I took the gig, and uh, we one of our shows was in like Savannah, Georgia, at a strip club, and we were literally we literally played two songs. We would stop, play two songs, and then stop. You know, like well, so they could you know change out the dancers on the main stage. It was one of the weirdest shows I've ever played in my life. Oh, they were like they were dancing to to your music. Yeah, it was, and it was all original music too, and it was kind of like a, like a rock grunge kind of kind of band, you know. I kind of took it for the money kind of thing, but uh, That's I took cool. it for the money, and and they had uh, they had a, uh, there was there was money, and then there was a uh, they had they had a date booked at CBGB's, and I, I was like, well, I've never got the chance to play CBGB's, so I was like, hell yeah, I'll do this tour. So yeah, I did it for like I went out for like two weeks, and we went up to CBGB's, and uh, I got to play CBGB's, so that was cool. Yeah, I actually got we we got to play CBGB's. That was pretty cool. Yeah, this crazy little club. You know, it's actually really little, way smaller than I ever thought it was. You would you would assume that with so much history and stuff, it would be this just a gigantic place or whatnot. But it's yeah, it's just a little. I mean, it literally is a little piece, a little hole, hole in the wall. Yeah, yeah. But I I can't remember when we played there, but uh, most of the label came out because you know Runners and New York label. But I can't remember when, like, what record cycle it was. I must have been Street of the Diesel. Right. It must have been, like, right around that time. So you guys were on, uh, which Ozfest were you guys on, 2001? Yes, correct. Do you remember who else was on that bill? Yeah, I can tell you who exactly who was on that bill. Main stage was Sabbath, <laughs> Manson, Slipknot, um, Disturbed, Linkin Park, Papa Roach, Crazy count. Second stage was Mudbane, uh, Union Underground, Hate Breed, Nonpoint, Taproots, American Head Charge. And then the third stage was Beautiful Creatures, No One, and then two bands I can't remember now. There's two other bands that oh um was was it was like it was a band that uh had something to do with uh, Geezer from Sabbath. I think he was white. Was it the GZR band no, or was no, it no. something else? Or Apartment Twenty Apartment Twenty Six? Apartment Twenty Six. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like his his kids band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them and fuck <laughs> who else? Maybe that was it. I'm not sure. No, there must have been one other band. I'm I'm missing one band, but that's pretty good. That's pretty good for something that happened 16 years ago. <laughs> uh, so do you have any memories, like vivid memories of any of the shows on that one? Um, yeah, lots of memories of that. Um, it was actually really cool. You know, it was our sort of, I mean, we had played a few radio festivals here and there, but like a touring festival, um, for, it was it was super cool. I mean, because you got to play in front of like I don't know, fucking ten thousand, fifteen thousand people every day, and uh, you know, it was towards like the end of the 
Hyde Callison cycle, so we had sold a good amount of records. We had a top 40 song on the radio, or sorry, top 20 active rock song, which was on New Disease. So a lot of people knew who we were. And uh, that was really cool. And because we were friends with pretty much every band there, that was cool. And I remember when we showed up, people were like, dude, don't go near Haybreed's bus. You know, like, it's like a fucking prison yard over there and this and that. Because, you know, all those guys. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like, whatever. We're, we're, we're kind of ghetto, too. So, <laughs> so actually, us and Haybreed became really good friends. And I remember their bus broke down at one of the off shows. You know, the entire band was riding with us for a while. You know, it was, it was really cool. Again, you know, there was sort of, uh, there was a lot of camaraderie going on at the time. There was a lot of shit talking too, but there was a lot of camaraderie going on with that. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's awesome, man, having a Haybreed on the, <laughs> having to pick up Haybreed with you guys and stuff. I actually, you know, that's another one of those bands that I saw probably in 1998 in a VFW Hall in Bowling Green, Kentucky, you know, fucking crazy, crazy seeing those bands back then. And, uh, actually I remember when, uh, 12 Volt Negative Earth opened for Haybreed. It was like, it was Haybreed, Earth Crisis, and, uh, Sam Sarah, which had like a couple of the members of like Crow Mags in it. And then like us, which was, you know, pretty much a new metal band and, like we were just way out of you know, <laughs> you know yeah. how we got on the bill. I don't remember, but yeah, it was crazy time. The funny thing was like Haybird specifically. People were scared of these guys. So he's, you know, they're just like, oh dude, they're like fucking thugs and this. I'm like, dude, they're fucking actually like the sweetest, nicest music ever. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's one of the things too when you see a band on tour. You know, at that you know when I was that age, like seventeen, eighteen, and you you see a band that's signed and on tour. You would assume that they're like, you know, in their mid twenties or whatever. But like, I just recently, through listening to the Josta show, realized that Jamie Josta is like a year older than me. So even back then, I was like in awe of a guy that was pretty much my age. You know, I'm not sure how old he is. He's he's like my age, right? Like right around our age. Yeah, yeah. He's like I think he's like thirty eight, thirty seven. Yeah, yeah. He it's, talks about you know he'll bring it up every once in a while on the on the podcast. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm super, so I had, super nice dude. Love those guys. It wasn't the same lineup that they have now. It was a uh, yeah. had a different drummer and a uh, Sean was the guitar player. Actually, he hasn't been in the yeah. long time. But super nice dudes, love those guys. Pretty much everyone on that on that Ozfest was super cool, you know. And it's like I would run into Ozzy doing like jump rope and shit, <laughs> things like that. You know what I mean? Um, Slipknot was obviously just starting their Iowa cycle, so they were just fucking nuts. Um, yeah, it was cool. Super, super, super fucking cool. So the big... Yeah, just kind of going back to that, uh, that Fear Factory System of a Down tour, just, I, you know, I think I barely heard of System of a Down at the time, and you know, just sitting there watching them, and like at the Toy Tiger, and it's such a small venue, and uh, Surge up there just like... He was like almost from another world. It was it was insane to watch him live. And then we went to the New Daisy the next night, and you know it's a gigantic venue, and he's had the same intensity. You know, it's just like it was such a strange. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know how you guys got through touring with him. You know, w- with them throughout the entire tour cycle because you know he just he was truly mesmerizing. You know, not to be not no pun intended, I guess. Serge, um, well, I mean, one of the things you gotta understand is like we've known those guys since our first show here. Yeah. Um, 
So we definitely, you know, me personally, I've definitely watched those guys develop into what they are. Yeah. What, what they became on their first record and then progress from there into what they, what they are now. Um, so I, I guess it wasn't as shocking to me. But I will tell you a funny System of Down story. Uh, it's not really right. that much of a story story. It's uh, on that Ozfest that we were, we were talking about on 2001. Someone had, uh, had got me an advanced copy of Toxicity. And um, I remember sitting on the front of the bus from going from show to show somewhere. And, you know, I, I had like one of those disc mans. <laughs> put in the CD and, you know, I'm listening to it and I'm going like, wow, dude, like, it, it really was a really good record. A fucking great record. You know what I mean? Like, not one bad song, not one bad, not, not one filler. Production was amazing. So, I remember just being really, really impressed by that record at the time. And, uh, I stick to that to this day. That record definitely stands the test of time. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, I used to work with this guy. I worked with like third shift with this guy, and his favorite band of all time was System of a Down. And I hadn't really listened to it in a while, and he put it in one day, and I was just like, "Oh man, it's so good!" You know, it's just such a yeah, it is a classic from start to finish. It's a great record. Yeah, it's it's one of those records. You know, what I mean, like just one of those records. That's the only way I can put it. And you don't get too many of those these days. Well, nowadays you're not even going to get well, one of those. Forget it. <laughs> right. That is never going to happen. No, it's such a crazy world with you know where you can just release singles and and things like that. It's just yeah, it's just it's a, it's an entirely different world that, yeah. that you know musicians these days are living in. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's probably why because I don't even get involved in music much anymore, is because of things like that. Because I mean, to me, it's, it's pretty sad because uh, I think once these bands, you know, and everybody's talking about how metal's dead and whatever, um, to a certain degree, I'm not saying it's dead, but the, the be- you're never going to get another Slipknot. You're never going to get another system. The the last band that got to that level was the newest band, was like Avenged Sevenfold, and that's it. I think Five Finger Death Punch is there, too, but, you know, that Five Finger Death Punch Disturbed type stuff, too, is pretty big. Yeah, you know, or Five Finger Death Punch, you know. But you're not going to get another band to, like, when those bands retire, there's no- Yeah. It, it's impossible not that there's not going to be good bands or good music out there. It's just, it's going to be impossible for a band to get to that level. They just, you can't. It's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the money that it takes to get a band to that level is pretty, you know, you're talking about major money, major marketing. Um, and no one will ever put that money up. When you get into that type of stuff, you know, it's, it's, You've got you know the five finger death punches and they've been sevenfolds and and all that out there touring and things like that. But you you know the newer bands coming up, there's so many subgenres and there's not just like a there's so many subgenres within a genre of of rock. You know there's not just the one polarizing band that can just like or one band that can just pull everyone into uh, to it rather than uh, you know you're gonna have a huge band that's you know kind of a screamo band or a huge band that's uh, you know power metal. But you know you're probably not gonna just have a huge metal band come up. Yeah, yeah, and plus with with the technology the way it is, and you know me being a studio engineer, producer, whatever you want to call it, um, it's I think people focus too much on the production of it rather than writing good songs. Yeah, because 
you know, these days you can get any talentless idiot in a studio. I mean, I'll, I, I, I can bring a singer who can't sing and make him sound decent. You know what I mean? Because that's what I'm hired to do. That just takes away from the, the pure raw talent of a musician. You know, just like, like if, if you put, if you would put, you know, Cisco over there with an acoustic guitar somewhere, they'll still present their song and because it's a good song, they'll translate. They'll sound amazing. You just, you're not going to get that anymore because people don't concentrate on that. They just worry about, you know, like it's, it's all the same kick drum sound, same guitar, same guitar amp. It's like one guitar amp that I think traveled the scene. What actually it's not even an amp, it's like a Kemper file. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what it does. And it's the same kick sound that just goes to, you know, just gets replaced on every record. So because of that, I think, you know, the, the audiences are sort of sick of it. They're so, the bands are so interchangeable, you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing, too, with the podcast is, you know, trying to find, a, you know, an up-and-coming band to get on to kind of help out to uh, to help promote, you know, to, pr- to promote their new album or to, po- to promote something. You know, I'll, I'll look at their photos, and all of their photos look like they're, you know, huge rock stars, but it could be taken on an iPhone with an Instagram filter. And then you turn over and you look at their, you know, they listen to their demos, and they all sound just amazing. But it's, you know, it's, you know, like you said, a Kemper file, it's a, you know, drum triggers, it's everything else. So you, you, it's so hard to like kind of just weed through all this stuff to find, you know, the next new band to kind of help out. You know? Right, right. You know, and I mean, there, there are good bands doing it. You know, there's a, there's sort of a, a reignited LA scene, I guess. I mean, there's a, a lot of bands from LA coming out. Uh, you know, there's a band that actually produced their first record called All Hell the Yeti. That is that doesn't sound like everyone else. Um, yeah, I remember when that was coming out. Who was in that again? Like I remember, I feel like there was people from other bands or something in that. No, nah, not really. It's uh, really his name's Connor Connor Garrity. Um, that's really no, nobody from any other band, big band or anything. Hmm. Uh, and they're about to put out their second record that I just heard a few weeks ago. I think it's coming out in April, April 8th or something like that, uh, that they made with uh, Matt Hyde. And it's a fucking, it's a kick-ass record because that whole, the, the first record was amazing, but I was, I guess, too close to it because, you know, on and off for like two years, I was a part of that. Um, the second... Or maybe that's, maybe I just put you, uh, maybe I would just put you maybe closer to the band than I than I thought. Maybe that's why that was, I was thinking it was for, uh, people from other bands it, in my head. It, it might have been, yeah. It might have been. I mean, I... You know, I, I started that record sort of in the pre-production process, and I would go to the studio once a week and just listen to their songs and help them put it together. And you know, I mean, it it it, it was a, a task basically, but it came out really good. At least I'm proud of it. They're proud of it. You know, and I guess at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, so they re-released that. They they just signed a new a new deal. They re-released that record and they're putting out their new record in April. So maybe that's something you should check out or people listen to should check out because it, it's a band that doesn't sound like every other band out there. Definitely have to take a look at them. You know, possibly get them on the podcast, all that stuff too. So yeah, yeah. Do what I can to help out. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. Got a question from the old the old internet here for you. Uh, let's see. Pull this closer here. 
All right, uh, let's see here. You guys play an acoustic show in Ogden, Utah. Right. The guy says it's the absolute best show he's ever been to. But, I mean, what's a spine shank acoustic show? <laughs> what's that about? Uh, well, two minutes ago, I was saying, if it's a good song, you'll translate it on an acoustic guitar, right? And it did. So what ended up happening is we had we were playing Ogden, Utah. That was, I think it was a near sold-out show. I'm not sure. Like 250, 300 kids, something like that. We had sound checked. Um, everything was ready to go. Probably about half hour before the doors opened, uh, the promoter calls me. I had gone back to the hotel shower, and the promoter calls me and says, uh, "Hey, uh, we have a problem." And I'm like, "Well, what's the problem?" Is he goes like, "Apparently, somebody had hit like a power block or something with the car." Or a power line, some shit. So basically, like, the, the entire block of that town didn't have power. And it wasn't going to get fixed till morning. But, like, there's, you know, all these people at the show, there's people waiting to get in and stuff, and I'm like, let me come down there and see what's going on. So, hotel wasn't that far. It was, like, walking distance. So I go to the show, and... um I don't know why. I just had this idea. I was like, hey, you know what? There's all these people. Let's not let them down. Let's um, let's see if we can find two acoustic guitars in this town. And, and we did. So me and Johnny just got up on stage and acoustically performed, I think, six or seven stretching songs, the ones that we knew would translate. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you're not going to play something like Hide a Callousness Acoustic. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Or asthmatic, but you can do new disease or smothered or beginning of the end, you know, like those types of songs. So, yeah, we did that, and that was the only time we've ever done that. It was totally spontaneous, and it definitely was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had as a musician because, you know, it, it, there wasn't even microphones. Oh, wow. Because there's no power, and there was no. <laughs> It was just candles, a bunch of people, and me and Johnny. That's it. Wow. Are th is there any kind of recording of that? Any uh, video anywhere? There's some shit on YouTube. Yeah, I think if you uh, if you look hard enough, you probably find it. I have seen it. I have seen it. So, what's the uh, status of Spine Sync these days? I mean, are you guys just defunct? Are you guys still are you know are you guys still civil with each other? Could there be a you know, spine shank show here or there? Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say yes, but I wouldn't exactly rule it out. I wouldn't rule anything else, yeah. but it's it, uh, is it something we're planning on doing? Not really. I, you know, I would probably lean towards more of the no side of that. Um, just because I'm really busy with whatever I got going on and everybody else is really busy with whatever they got going on. And um, some of us talk to each other, some of us don't. That kind of thing. I mean, I think for us to do a spine chain show, it would have to be a reason. And yeah. and it, the reason wouldn't be, hey, let's just do a show and make a few thousand bucks or whatever. That's not a good enough reason. Um, right, just do like a benefit or something if something came up like that? Um, no, nah, not even that. It would it would definitely have to be an artistic reason. And I, th oh, okay. I think artistically, Spine Shank has definitely exhausted itself. 
But then again, you never know. You know, I don't know. I, I don't want to be the 50 year old guy, you know, trying to like read bands. <laughs> That's definitely not going to happen. And I was, you know, somewhat against even doing the, the last record, the last, you know, resurgence or whatever you want to call it of Spicing. Um, the only reason that I stand behind that now is because I think we made the record that the best record I've ever made. That that's kind of, yeah. you know, because I knew the songs, I knew the record where it was going, and I committed myself to finishing this. Um, other than that, there was definitely not uh, any kind of a financial, quote-unquote, benefit to doing that. We definitely lost a lot, a lot of money on, on that whole, you know, 2008 and on fiasco. But artistically, I think we, you know, we definitely satisfied ourselves, I guess that's how I would put it. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, you know, not to pressure you in anything, but I think there's definitely a a resurgence of kind of that, you know, that early 2000s music to where, you know, bands like Flaw and bands like uh, 40 Below Summer are kind of back out and and touring. And, you know, you just look at the photos from the shows and things like that, and you just see like a a pretty decent-sized crowd at these shows again to where, you know, when, when at the end of Primer, like when we toured, Primer 55 in 2007, like some of those shows were literally like six people at those shows. It was it was sick. You know, a lot of lot of venues with bar and grill in the title, and you know, just a lot of people not caring and uh, just you know, drinking their beers and stuff at the bar and just almost being annoyed uh, by the band that's on stage. So, but I think now that if uh, you know, it's kind of kind of our our generation of bands and our generation of fans are kind of getting to that point where you know they're all in their late 30s, early 40s all might have a little bit of a disposable income if they, you know, have their proper jobs and, you know, might need a night out uh, away from the family and kids, uh, you know, so want to relive that childhood kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I hate to say that we're kind of getting to that point where, where it is reliving the childhood. But, uh, so, you know, I think a lot of these bands are kind of coming around at the right time, you know, to where, where, where see, people our age have the... Uh, here's where I have the problem with that. Uh, I don't yeah. ever want to be a nostalgia band. Right. Right. So, which is exactly why we made the record that we made last time, the, the Angered and Alexeptus record, because it wasn't really, like, we we could have very easily have recreated any one of our records. We never did that. We wanted to push it and do the record that defined us at the time. Um, so I wouldn't really be into going out there and doing a tour to play beginning of the end or new to these for the thousandth, thousandth time, because that's just not what I'm into. And the reward that I would get for that, artistically, it's not rewarding. Financially, it nah, <laughs> not gonna happen. You know what I mean? Because the expenses of touring, it's insane. And we're not really at the age of, oh, hey, you know, let's just pile in a van and go. Right. That's just not gonna happen. You know what I mean? And you know, like if I sound jaded. Maybe I do sound jaded, but Jesus Christ, I've been doing this shit for 20 years, literally. I'm 38 now. I I, I signed when I was 19. Spongebob started when we were 18, when I was 18. So, you know, forgive me for doing that. (laughs) You know what I mean? But (laughs) it's just, I just don't see it. You know, I I don't see the reward in that. Because there is no artistic reward other than, you know, it's like, hey, it's a cash grab to me. You know what I mean? Okay, so if they 
I don't know, Slipknot. And we knew we could go out there and, like, oh, just like, or, or look at it, like, disturbed. Right now, they they took a four and a half or whatever year hiatus. They're, they made a, another record, went number one, and they're back to in arenas. If I knew that was going to happen, sure. Right. Be, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, because at that point, that it's both artistically satisfied because they made a new record that you know I'm sure they love, and they're touring arenas again. It's like they never left. You know what I mean? But for for this band to come back on on that level, it would take some work, and I don't think anybody would do that, and, and it would never even happen. Never mind. I don't yeah. Couldn't do it. But you know, there are a lot of those bands. I mean, even like the Fear Factory, Cold Chamber Tour, things like that, are just a, uh, you know. Well, no, see, bands that, are coming that's back. That's a little different because Fear Factory was a band that never really went away. Right. They constantly kept going. Cold Chamber, yes, but I mean, Cold Chamber, you know, you got to realize they were a pretty big band when you know they disbanded. Oh yeah. Ever. And sure, you know, they came back, made a made a kick-ass record and toured behind it. You know, we, we try to do the same thing, and it sort of happened, but it sort of didn't. You know, I mean, at, at that point, I was tired of it. Right. I was tired of the of the, the industry, I guess. Because, you know, when you're yeah, it's just... label over like two grand, dude, you know what I mean? It's just like, you fucking assholes. I can pay this out of my pocket, but I shouldn't. Yeah, it's definitely a totally different world than the, than the, the world that we were trying to get into in our in our teens. And, uh, you know, now that we're pushing 40. <laughs> yeah, totally exactly. You know, and, you know, like now I'm, I'm married, you know, and I have a whole other business. And I got something really cool and creative going on that's not really music related. So... I'm definitely, you know, as a human, I'm satisfied. Yeah. You know, like, the, the, whatever, my soul is satisfied. And, you know, as far as, you know, I mean, I'll always be a musician until the day I die. And I'm in the studio sometimes, and I still produce stuff when it's worth it. I'm I'm definitely involved in music. Oh, yeah. But I don't... Yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, I always come back around to it. I mean, that's why I like doing the podcast, because I get to... You know, like I said, I get to, you know, talk about new bands coming out, but then also I get to talk to people like you and Chris and, you know, people from my childhood too, you know, my early 20s, things like that, you know, and, you know, this does, you know, take some time once I get down to editing and, you know, get the music on it and things like that, you know, so it's it it helps, you know, ease that creative side of me that, like, just wanting to do some stuff. Right, right, and see, that's super cool to do, but, I mean, for me, it'd be foolish to, like, Depends to make a living off of playing music. Yeah. And this day and age, no. you know, it's just not going to happen. No, I mean, even like when uh, 2007, like I said, you know, kind of when I left Primer the last time, you know, we were out, we were making decent money. It's not like we were struggling, you know, we weren't starving. You know, we had guarantees, things like that. And, uh, you know, I was paying my bills, but I was making, you know, about the same, if not a little bit less than I would if I just worked a regular job and I was away from my family, I was away from my kids, you know, and it wasn't like we were out promoting a new album and, you know, with the possibilities of a gigantic tour, we were just out touring, uh, almost just out touring just to almost tour, you know, it wasn't like we were out there doing anything, 
that could turn into a number one album or could turn into a huge right, gigantic right. arena tour, you know. So you know, and and you know, a lot of bands do that. Um, you know, it's it's sort of it's it's kind of an addiction. It's like being an addict, and you're always chasing that high. But at a certain point, you gotta realize like that's not gonna happen to it anymore. It's never gonna be like that. The first time you played this, or the first tour, or the, the you know, when you're not on, a, on an upswing, basically, it's all downhill from there. So, so, you know, sure, if you if you if if you really 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 love your music, and you want to be out there touring, more power to you. But you know, it's to me, it's just not satisfying. Right. No, I totally understand, man. But hey, we're coming up on our time. Definitely appreciate you taking some time today, man. We've come a long way from uh, voicemail pagers and uh, yeah, Metal AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> Metal Maniacs, AOL Instant Messenger. You know. So, yep. Yeah, I, I kind of go back. Actually, uh, man, the first time that uh, Metal Maniacs reviewed the first 12 volt album, like I flipped out, and you know, it actually gave us a pretty decent review. You know, I mean, like it did. You know, I remember they kind of just basically said we sounded like Life of Agony, which is pretty much what we sounded like, but. But yeah, man, I remember they were just like, uh, you know, gave us a pretty decent review, and I think I bought like twelve copies from the Tower Records at the time, and you know, ran home with it. So, see, that's pretty cool. Now, hold on, here's a weird question: Did Chris replace you in Twelve Volt? Yeah, right. Because I knew Chris was twelve from Twelve Volt when I met him. I met him years and yeah, years and years and years ago. He moved to Vegas. I was like, dude, I knew the dude in Twelve Volt, and it's not you. And he was like, oh, dude, that, you know, came after him. And I was like, it's kind of funny because I know both the bass players were 12 volts. Yeah, it's funny. I left I left 12 volts in, like, 2002. And then uh, I didn't have anything to do. And I sent out some emails to a few people that I knew. You might have even got one. I don't remember. But uh, one of them was Bobby because I'd actually auditioned for Primer 55 before the new release came out and came down to me and Kobe. I guess Kobe got it. I've kind of told that story on the podcast before, but, uh, and then, uh, when Kobe left, Bobby had, co- you know, contacted me again about, um, you know, joining. And so like, basically I, I quit 12 volt and like two months later I was out on the road with dope and skin lab and primer. So, hmm. so fun stuff. Yeah. Fun stuff. Good old times. <laughs> right. Long time ago. Yep. So I guess the uh, Primer Fifty Five Spine Shank tour that I was gonna, pr- you know, propose to you. <laughs> no, I'm nah. Nah. no, no, I, I, I don't. Be, uh... I mean, like I said, unless there's a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> yeah. No. no. And yeah, and, unless it's the you know the Lamb of God Spine Shank tour, the you know the Slipknot Spine Shank tour, I don't see it happening. Well, see, like that's that's my out. I'm just being like that's my easy out. Unless there's a ridiculous amount of money, I'm not doing it. And <laughs> that's a ridiculous amount of money so why would they now alright All right, man well, I'm going to go ahead and jump off here man but uh, definitely appreciate you taking the time I'm going to edit this one up pretty quick and actually get it out Tuesday So, well, alright cool well let me know if whatever I can do to help alright guys here you have it that was my interview with Mike Sarkeesian of Spineshank Great guy. God, it was so, so good to catch up with him. It was definitely like uh, two old friends talking. You know, we hadn't talked in so long. And just through the years, it's kind of funny. You know, like I said, we, we kind of messaged back and forth uh, through voicemail pagers. And then we would message back and forth through like AOL Instant Messenger and, you know, even through MySpace and, uh, and through, you know, obviously we, we reconnected on Facebook. But, I you know, I saw him out uh, on tour a few times things like that but this is probably the longest that we've actually chatted 
And uh, it's definitely like two old friends talking. And even after the podcast was over, I think we stayed on the phone for another 10, 15 minutes just chatting about life and families and things like that. So definitely going to have to get him on for a part two. He's got some cool stuff in the works. And uh, I didn't even get to talk about Russia with him, which is, you know, where he kind of splits time with. So I had a lot of questions about Russia because obviously you don't really know too many people from Russia. So so it was definitely cool having him on. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed all of this podcast and, uh, and if you've enjoyed this podcast and if you've enjoyed all of this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, please take that time to go give us that five-star rating, give us a great review. And, uh, it just helps out the podcast. You know, I, I check it occasionally to see where we're at. I think we've got like five, five-star reviews and a few reviews, like a couple of reviews on there, but I definitely want to get that number up, up, up. So if you're listening and you're listening on iTunes, make sure to just go and, uh, search out the podcast, hit that five-star rating give us a great review and it'll definitely help out the podcast and i've been listening to a lot of great podcasts lately and uh you know hopefully going to start branching out and uh you know appearing on their podcast having some guests from uh, other uh, metal podcasts come on on my podcast and uh, branch out that way too and uh, let you guys know about some of the podcasts that i've been listening to lately but man some great great stuff you know i'll just give a shameless plug to the uh, decibel geek guys so if you guys are into you know like when i did the interview with like uh, fred Corey, uh some of the older 80s bands uh you know they do uh specials on pantera and they did a bunch of kiss stuff and i've been i've been totally just entranced with this uh 152 part vinnie vincent thing that they got going on and i've got this great story uh great timeline with Vinnie Vincent throughout my life so I'm going to try to get uh, get the Decibel Geek guys on the podcast and we can uh, talk some Vinnie Vincent and Vinnie Vincent Invasion and all that great stuff so so it's going to be fun so I'll reach out to those guys and hopefully get them on the podcast you know if you guys also check out the Decibel Geek podcast and let them know that you uh, you heard heard them through me and it'll uh, definitely help all that out so again next week i've got uh, matt snell and brian jackson of uh the band nvidia and if you haven't heard of those heard of that band yet uh nvidia is made up of uh it's matt snell formerly of five finger death punch brian jackson of skin lab the drummer chris is from downset and blood simple and then the singer is obviously from uh plays bass currently in uh in this moment so definitely check those guys out this week so next week you guys have a little frame of reference when uh, when you hear that interview but definitely cool. Uh, just actually just completed that interview with Matt Snell and uh, Brian Jackson, and uh, talk a little Five Finger Death Punch. Talk talk a lot about their new band. And then uh, a couple weeks from now is the Kurt Vanderhoof of Metal Church interview. Like I said, uh, cannot wait for you guys to hear that. Definitely the uh, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old in me freaked out when I got to talk to Kurt Vanderhoof of Metal Church. You know, as one should. And uh, he definitely has some racy stuff to say about Nirvana and about the Melvins, you know, being from the Aberdeen, Washington area. Once again, make sure to go visit Fleet Street on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash visit Fleet Street. Give them a like. Let them know you heard them on Talk To Me. And then uh, they will you'll be in the running for a free bottle of beard oil for that sweet beard of yours. And you will look so smooth and Okay, I can't wait to get my pomade in the mail. And uh, from everything that I've heard about the company through my friends with their super sweet beards, that it's a great company and uh, definitely one that uh, I'm proud to be associated with. So make sure, yeah, go check out Stephen Drummond in his Fleet Street beard oil, pomade, all that fun stuff. There's even like some tattoo lotion you got to get. Make sure to keep your tattoos looking good. And again, if you want to directly support the Talk To Me podcast, make sure to go to Amazon.com 
search out the Talk To Me t-shirt. Get you a t-shirt. They come in like charcoal gray, navy blue. They come in the great black, you know, because black like your soul. You know, and, uh, you know, they come in lady sizes, the men sizes. You can get them in kid sizes. And if you have Amazon Prime, free shipping. And if you so if you want to help out the podcast, make sure to do that. Or if you just want to give a monetary donation to the podcast, you can always go to paypal.me slash talk to me, enter in a monetary donation. And all of that will be, I will truly, truly be grateful to you. Got some great guests coming up. Until next week, I am Joshua Toomey, and this has been the Talk To Me Podcast. <laughs>